0: You know, we find ourselves in a world where the concept of peace is being talked about a lot right now, and uh, some of that is, is ironic. We've got these peaceful protests, which appear to be anything but peaceful by and large, and then, of course, there's always the, the rumors of peace in the Middle East and the campaign promises about how we're going to unite the, the foes and, and bring world peace uh, upon us all, And then as parents in the midst of this quarantine, this lockdown, this pandemic, there are so many parents out there who have been stuck at home with their children for so long that there are moms and dads sitting there going, man, I would do anything for a few moments of peace. And see, this world can wrap their minds around peace to a certain degree, to a certain extent, but the beatitude that we're going to look at together this week is going to talk about peace in a way that the world can never imagine. Can never comprehend because the peace that this beatitude is built upon, the peace that this beatitude is driving at, the peace that you and I now need to be about making in this world is a peace that is not something that comes from human beings and, and our relationships with one another but it's a peace that's anchored to uh, the, the, the grace of God. It's a peace that's anchored to the work of God on our behalf through the cross. It's a peace that's anchored to what Jesus has done for us in making peace between us and God so that now you and I are called to go out ourselves and be peacemakers among those that we uh, interact with throughout this world. Matthew chapter five, verse nine is our beatitude. Grab your Bibles if you don't already have them, open them up to Matthew chapter five, verse nine. And this is actually our eighth beatitude in our summer series here. Uh, Next time you will have Kellen in and Kellen's gonna be preaching on the the 10th one. And that's gonna be our final beatitude for the summer series. So uh, bringing it to a close, landing the plane and, and Jesus is talking now about being a peacemaker. So hopefully now you're at Matthew five, nine and let's read together. It says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peace was an expected attribute of the coming Messiah. It was uh, uh, something that was uh, was associated with this hope for messianic deliverance that the Jewish people had. We read in Isaiah 9, 6. There the prophet says, For unto us, it's a familiar passage. You're probably quoting it in your mind. It's from Christmas. Uh, for unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Peace, Prince of Peace. And then in Micah 4, or excuse me, Micah 5 verses 4 and 5. Micah 5 verses 4 and 5 says this, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall dwell securely. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. So this was a messianic expectation. And when Jesus came on the scene during this, this time of Roman rule and Roman oppression for the Jewish people, they were looking for a deliverer who would bring peace, but not in the way that Jesus was going to bring peace. See, the Jews were looking for a military peace. The Jews were looking for a political peace. The Jews were looking for a peace that was going to be brought about through war and through conflict and through reestablishing Israel on the scene as a great national power, the way it had once been under David and under Solomon. This was the type of peace that the Israelites were expecting. This was the type of peace that they were looking for a Messiah to deliver. But Jesus came on the scene as we just read in Isaiah, as the Prince of Peace, To bring about a peace that was a a, a much different peace than what Israel was expecting. A much different type of deliverance than what Israel was longing for. And yet it was a peace, it was a deliverance that Israel needed far more than they needed deliverance and peace from Roman rule and Roman oppression. We pick up in the New Testament, this concept of Jesus fulfilling this idea of being the bringer of peace. We read this in Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, he, Jesus For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile, there's a a word talking about peace right there, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And here it is, making peace by the blood of his cross. So here you have the Apostle Paul, and it's this grandiose uh, hymn material about Jesus, praising Jesus. And he's going through talking about the greatness of Christ, that he's the image of the invisible God, that in everything that he might be first place, that he might be preeminent, that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And then you have it said there that he was sent to make peace. This peace that the world was longing for, that the Jews were looking for, but it's a different peace. It didn't come through ruling and reigning in military power. No, it came through what? The blood of his cross. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul picks up again on this idea of the peace that you and I have through Christ, the peace that Jesus came to offer, the peace that made him the prince of peace, that made him the one that fulfilled these Old Testament prophecies saying that he was going to be our peace, that he is the prince of peace. Ephesians 2, 12 through 17 says this, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14 says this, for he, Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he became, and he came, sorry, and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So Paul in Ephesians chapter two is talking about this difference between the the Gentiles and the Jews. And he's addressing the Gentiles and he's saying, look, at one time you were far off from God and you were separated. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't part of the family of God. And yet God gave Jesus to break down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles to be the peace there. Yes, horizontally, but notice what he says there again. And it says there that he might reconcile, verse 16, us both. Both Jews and Gentiles needed to be reconciled to God. They both needed to be brought near to God to have peace made. And and Paul says that's exactly what Jesus did. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body. Again, how? Through the cross. Through the cross. Not through a, a ruling regime. Not through power. Not through authority. Not through war. Not through overturning Roman oppression. No, through the cross is how he brought peace. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Peace, it's what we needed. Why did we need it? Well, back in Colossians chapter one, Paul reminded us, he said, you, verse 21, you were alienated, you were separated from God. Why? Because you were hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he says. Our sin created this infinite chasm between us and God and and put us at hostility with him. In Romans five, Paul says that you and I were enemies of God at odds with him, that we were hostile, that we weren't just neutral, that we weren't just on the sideline waiting to make a decision about what we thought about Jesus. No, before Christ, you and I were enemies of God and we needed peace to be brought between us and God the Father. And that's a peace that you and I couldn't bring in and of ourselves. In fact, when we try by our own merits, when we try by our own good works, when we try by our own righteousness, it, it repulses God it turns him off even more from us. And that's Isaiah 64, four or 64, six, where it's uh, that our, our good deeds are our filthy rags before the father. And so we needed this peace to be brought and God provided that peace for us through Jesus. You may think, man, Pastor PJ, this sounds a little bit like a broken record. I feel like we continue to go back to this whole idea of the gospel. And you know what, man? If there's one thing that I'm gonna hammer home, if there's one thing that I can be repetitive over, if there's one thing that I can come back to time and time and time again, let it be the gospel. In fact, that's one of the things why I, that I've, I've loved so much about this series and I've loved so much about being in the study and preparing for these sermons is how much God has just put my nose in the cross, that he's getting, gotten me face to face time and time and time again with my need for Jesus, with the reality that I can't do any of these things that I'm being called to do. I can't fulfill any of these beatitudes unless first I understand that I needed to be reconciled to God, that I needed this peace that I needed him to make me a new creation so that then I can do these things, right? I mean, this series has been so good to remind us that we need Jesus, that we need the gospel. And so if I'm gonna be a broken record on anything, let it be the gospel. Let it be this good news that though we were hostile in mind, though we were alienated, though we were enemies, that God sent Jesus to be our peace. When we think about that, men, when we dwell on that, when we just marinate in that reality, man, it should lead us to worship Jesus, to give thanks for Jesus. And that's point number one this week. It's this praise Jesus for the peace he provided. Praise Jesus for the peace he provided. Take that moment right now and just use this as fuel to worship your savior. He's worthy of all praise, right? Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that a day is coming where at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the praise and the glory of the Father, right? That day is coming. Well, don't let it be then that God forces you into submission and worship of Jesus. Worship him today for what he has done for you. Praise God for the peace that you have in Jesus Christ. Again, the Jews, they were looking for this military deliverance. They were looking for this political deliverance, this temporal deliverance, but what we have in Jesus is so much better than that. The peace that Christ secured for us is so much better than a peace where we don't have to worry about lockdowns or quarantines or politics or presidential elections or anything else. That, that stuff is is it's small. It's, it's a pittance compared to what we really truly have in the peace of Jesus Christ that he's provided for us. Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's it right there. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, faith in who? Jesus. Faith in what? Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. Since we've been justified by faith in that, now we have peace with God peace with God. That should cause us to worship Christ, to love Jesus, to, to adore Jesus for that. And men, just to wrap that around our minds around that more and to dwell on that more, this is not just like a, a one and done transaction, but this is an ongoing thing. You can continually thank Jesus for the peace that you have with the father, because this is a dynamic. This is a living peace that you and I have. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy two, five, he says, there's one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. One mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And Jesus right now is doing that for you and I. Seated at the right hand of the Father, he is interceding on our behalf. He is pleading his blood on our behalf. So that the the, the Father is continually pleased to be at peace with us because the, the Son is continually pleading his blood, his sacrifice on our behalf he is interceding for us and that's what it says in Hebrews 7:25 Hebrews 7:25 says consequently Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them since he always lives to make intercession for them so you go to the book of Job and you've got Satan drawing before the throne room to accuse Job. And now, what we have, men, is we have Jesus there t- to plead his blood, to say, Yes, there's a sin, but here's my blood. My blood has paid for that. My blood has atoned for that. My sacrifice dealt with that at the cross. He is interceding on our behalf so that this peace that we have is an ongoing, present, dynamic, never ending, never failing peace that you and I enjoy daily, daily because of the work of Christ. So let's be men who are praising Jesus for that. Isaiah 53.5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And so men, if you and I want to be peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers. If you and I want to be peacemakers, we need to make sure that we have had peace made between us and God. We have to understand the peace. We have to wrap our minds around the peace that Jesus has secured for us at the cross. If you and I want to go out and be those that bring peace, make peace in the world in which we find ourselves in. And the proper response to to understanding that is to worship Jesus as a result. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. They shall be called sons of God. They shall be called sons of God. There have been different kind of promises, results of each of these beatitudes. But I love this one because it reminds us of the goal of the Beatitudes. Why will the peacemakers be called sons of God? Well, because they will be like the Son of God. Because the Son of God is the peacemaker par excellence. He was the ultimate example of what it is to make peace between God the Father and humanity. And now as you and I go out as his ambassadors, as you and I go out and follow in his footsteps and follow his lead, as we've been talking about with so many of these Beatitudes, now because we are like Jesus now we be also are, are, are able to be called sons of God. You know, there's different families out there that have made waves in history. And each of those families, they're known for something, right? For instance, take the, the Gambino crime family. Well, it's right there in the name, right? The crime family, the Gambino crime family. If you're a Gambino, you're known for what? You're known for the mafia. You're known for being involved in crime. Or take the Kennedy's. You take the Kennedys, what are they known for? You you could say politics maybe, but how about just unfortunate ends to their lives, right? If you're in the Kennedy family, man, you kind of got to be looking over your shoulder and not going skiing too often or anything like that. You're known for having unfortunate ends to your life. It's, It's something that is a familial marker there. Or the Kardashians, right? They're socialites. They're known for being just in the public spotlight and being famous for who knows what, having an Instagram account, I guess. I don't know. But that's what they're known for. It's a familial marker, right? Or maybe the Jackson Five. You think about them when they first came on the scene and how talented they all were and how good they all were at what they they did. And and of course, one of them, Michael, excelled uh, beyond all of the rest of them in that. But all of them had that familial marker of being good at what they did. They were were talented. Well, men, for you and I as Christians, as followers of our Savior, who was the ultimate peacemaker— a familial marker that you and I should have as part of God's family, as fellow sons of God, along with Jesus, as a co-heir with Christ, right? One of those familial markers should be the fact that you and I are men of peace who bring about peace wherever we go. That's point number two this week. It's this, recognize peace as a familial marker of God's family. Recognize peace as a familial marker. It's, it's characteristic of what it means to be part of God's family is that you and I would be peacemakers. Now we have to get this order right. It's not that we are peacemakers, so therefore we're part of God's family. No, it's we're part of God's family, so therefore we are peacemakers. If you think about the other Beatitudes, and we've mentioned before in this series, how those Beatitudes that are there, especially the the opening ones, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. As you think about those, those are are wrought in us by an act of God, right? That's not me saying, well, I'm going to just white knuckle this and and work this up in my heart. No, that's something that God transforms in us. That's something that that being born again, that being regenerated produces in our lives. And so that has to be there before we're going to be anything else. But listen again to those. If I'm poor in spirit, right? If I understand my own need for salvation, I see my sinfulness. I see that I need a savior, that I'm unrighteous in and of my own. If that's who I am, if, if I'm one who mourns over the brokenness of this world, over the fallenness of this world, who feels a, a burden over that, a weight over that. If I'm somebody who's, who's meek, who's humble, who's not boastful and arrogant and prideful, but who's somebody who is, is meek and, and reliant upon the Lord and trusting the Lord and, and humble before the Father. And if I'm somebody who's hungering and thirsting for righteousness, those things that are good and right, not according to the world's standards, but according to God's standards, right? If, if God is producing those things in me through his spirit, as a result of salvation, as a result of me being regenerated, then it's going to follow, right? That I'm going to be a man of what? Peace. Do you see how those attributes produce peace? Poor in spirit, mourning, humility, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, what's, what's good and what's right, that's going to cause me to be somebody who is a man of peace and not a man of conflict. There are certain things that come along with being a child in my household at home. You're going to respect the authority of your parents. You're going to treat one another with respect and, and kindness. You're going to do the chores that have been assigned to you, and you're going to do them with a, a joyful attitude. Well, men, we are members of God's household. And as members of God's household, one of the things that is expected of us that should characterize us is that we would be peacemakers, that we would be men of peace. Now, you may be somebody who's perhaps a little bit more cantankerous uh, maybe somebody who's a little bit more prone to the get off my lawn kind of mentality than the, the peacemaking mentality. And so perhaps you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, this is kind of like a, a spiritual gift, right? That some guys have the gift of peacemaking while other guys have the gift of not speaking and causing conflict. And so I'm going to be the guy that, that just kind of shuts up on the sideline rather than the guy that's uh, aggressively out there promoting and, and pursuing peace. But it's, it's not that easy, unfortunately, right? Right. Because this isn't something that's unique to a subset of believers. This is something that's to be true of every believer. Fruit of the Spirit, we've been going through it, uh, just started going through it on the weekend services. But in the Fruit of the Spirit, which is, there's really one fruit, and then uh, it's, it's described in, in this list of characteristics of the one Fruit of the Spirit. We find that it's love, joy, and what's the next word? Peace, right? Peace. Peace that you and I as Christians, as we are indwelt by the spirit, one of the things that should manifest itself in every believer's life is peace, peacefulness, peacemaking. Again, why? Because it's, it's part of what it means to be part of God's family. It's a familial marker that identifies you and I as sons of God, because we are like Jesus, who is the ultimate peacemaker. He went before us. He blazed the trail. He provided the peace that we so desperately needed. And now we want to be like Jesus. And so we need to be men of peace as well. We should want to be men of peace because it aligns us with Jesus. It makes us look like Jesus. It shows to the world and it shows to the Father, hey, look, I belong to God. I'm part of God's family. I am a peacemaker. But what does it look like in action to be a peacemaker? Maybe when you think of making peace, you think of of concepts like weakness, or compromise, or maybe you think of of something that the world so often associates with peace, and that is tolerance. That to be peaceful is is to be tolerant of all things, right? Not to create any waves, or, or maybe you think of peace as losing, that it's you taking the loss, and. and being a peacemaker may involve some of those things in certain circumstances, in certain instances, but that's not really what we see when we look at Jesus, the Prince of Peace, right? After all, remember Mark eleven fifteen, 15, and it was recorded a couple of times. In fact, there were two instances of this where Jesus, the Prince of Peace, zealous for the things of the Lord, goes into the temple, right? His father's house. And he begins to see that things are going on in the temple that shouldn't go on in the temple. And Jesus doesn't go up and be like, hey, guys, I've got a suggestion for you. Would you mind just taking your money-changing tables and just moving them out into the court of the Gentiles? Would you mind just getting off the temple mount with those? Because they don't really make God the Father happy. Would would you mind with that? Now, Jesus, what does he do? He says he he takes a cord and he makes a, a whip. And he goes in and he drives out the money changers and turns over their tables, flips them over And he's driving out the animals and he is going after them. And he is aggressive in that, right? This is the Prince of Peace. Or what about Matthew 23? Matthew 23, you've got the the woes that Jesus issues. And we've talked about quite a few of those in the past messages. But Jesus is confronting the Pharisees saying, woe are you, woe to you, which is beware. You are in danger of being cursed and damned is essentially what he's saying there. And he's saying, Woe to you, your whitewashed tombs. He's saying, You clean the outside of the cup, but not the inside. You tie dill, but you neglect mercy. I mean, he, Jesus is just going after these guys. And this is who, again? This is the Prince of Peace that's doing this. Or how about Revelation 19, which pictures, pictures the, the Jesus that's coming back? In Revelation 19, 11 through 16, John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True Sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress. This is the Prince of Peace, by the way. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Whoa. You're not going to see that Jesus hanging up like in some needle point in, in somebody's house, right? You're not going to see Lifeway Christian stores selling a a mural of that Jesus. Although if they did, I'm hanging it up in my office, right? The Prince of Peace, he's coming back and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And we're like, whoa, this is the Prince of Peace. This is the ultimate peacemaker. Yes, he is, but we have to understand our pursuit of peace in the context of championing the purity and the righteousness and the holiness of God above all else. See, man, that's how Jesus pursued peace for us. In order to to make peace between God the Father and us, there was something that was not peaceful that took place, and that's the cross. He made peace by the blood of the cross. That at the cross, there was the most violent interchange that has ever taken place in the history of the world. And that is the full wrath of God being poured out upon Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And so what brought us peace? Remember what Isaiah said? The chastisement that was upon him brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. He bore our iniquities. He was crushed for our sins, right? This violent interchange. Why did it have to take place? Because peace can't be made at the expense of the righteousness and holiness and godliness of the Father that has to stay in place. And so here we see that Jesus goes into the temple and overturns these tables. Why? Because they were profaning the temple. They were profaning the house of God and he wasn't gonna stand for it. And then you had the Pharisees. And why did Jesus go so hard after the Pharisees? Well, because what he said was, you know what, Pharisees, you go across the ocean to make a single convert. But after you do, because you're proclaiming a false gospel to them, you make them twice as much a son of hell as they were when they didn't even know who you were. So Jesus is condemning these religious leaders because they're leading people astray and away from God. He's saying this has to stop and he's condemning them. And then in Revelation 19, now it's, it's the back end. The, the church has been raptured. The church has been taken up to be with the Lord. This is the end of the tribulation and Jesus is coming back with his armies to, to finally judge those who have rejected him and the prince of peace leads the charge with the armies of those that have come to know that peace from him against those that have rejected that peace those that have spurned the peace of god so as you and I think about pursuing peace men and being peacemakers it doesn't mean rolling over and compromising on sin or doctrine it doesn't mean being weak it doesn't mean that that we tolerate things and just say, why can't we all just put coexist bumper stickers on the back of our car and sing kumbaya, right? That's that's nonsense. That's garbage. And yet that's so much of what the church wants to do today. Men, we need to stand up and be strong as we are men of peace. And we need to be men of conviction as we are men of peace, because peace means nothing unless it's connected and anchored to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be peacemakers that honor the Lord. In fact, that's our final point. Pursue peace with others that honors Christ. Pursue peace with others, point three, that honors the Lord. Unless you are pursuing peace with others that that honors the Lord, you're not pursuing the peace that God wants you to be pursuing at all. Again, point three, pursue peace with others that honors the Lord. Paul says this in Romans 12, 18 through 21. He says this, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Okay. Well, so doesn't that mean that I need to compromise? Doesn't that need to mean I need to roll over and be weak? No. Well, look at what he says here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so that exhortation, live peaceably with all, is an exhortation against acting like the world. It's It's an exhortation against allowing your own ego and your own pride to lead to conflict with other people. Now, we need to be at peace with the world horizontally in the sense that we're not provoking unnecessarily. But we also need to cling to and hold to and be passionate about the gospel. And ultimately, man, that's the way that we're going to pursue peace with other people that, that honors the Lord. 2 Corinthians five, eighteen through 20. 2 Corinthians five, eighteen through 20. Paul writes, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. When you hear the word reconciled in this passage, think peace because that's what's happening. We have been brought from far off. We've been brought near. We have been recipients of the peace of God to be drawn into him. Man, the number one way that we can follow after Jesus' lead in being peacemakers is by bringing the gospel to the lost, is by caring more about their peace with God than we do about anything else that that they may want peace with or peace from. You know, if you're you're kind to your neighbors, you maintain peace with them. You've got that relationship where they can come and borrow a tool and, and you can go to them and 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 vice versa, right? You can rely on one another. You've got this good relationship, this peaceful relationship, but you never share the message of the gospel with them. What good is that? Or if you think about your family, maybe you're the peacekeeper in your family. You're the mediator. Anytime conflict comes up, you're the one that rushes in to diffuse the tension. You're the one that rushes in to, to change the subject and make sure everybody stays calm and that this Christmas doesn't turn into the one from last year where the tree caught on fire because things went haywire, right? You're that, that guy. You're the peacemaker in your family. But if you never address their need for peace with the Father, then what good have you done them? None. None. And in fact, there's a story about Penn Jillette, the magician, who after a, a service was given a Bible. And the guy said to him, hey, look, I just, I just want you to have this. And Gillette says that he took the Bible from him just to be polite, even though he's an atheist and doesn't believe in God. And he took the Bible and he went back to his hotel room that night and he sat down and he opened it up. And, and inside the Bible, there was this note written to Penn Gillette, which shared the gospel with him and just told him about how much this guy was was burdened for him and said he wanted to know that he would come to faith in Jesus Christ, Right. And Gillette, uh, you know, read that and everything. And and then he jumped on and he recorded this video that I'm referring to here. And Gillette in this video, he says this, he says, look, you know what? I'll tell you. He goes, yeah, I'm an atheist. I don't believe God exists. He says, but I respected that man. He said, you know what I don't respect? He said, I don't respect Christians who don't, he used the word proselytize. He said, I don't respect Christians who don't evangelize. And here's what he followed that up with. He said, because how much do you have to hate someone? to know that they're going to hell and to not do anything about it? It's an amazing statement, right? How much do you have to hate someone to know that they're going to hell and not do anything about it? That's an atheist perspective, right? How much do you have to hate someone to know that they are at odds between God the Father, a holy and just and righteous God, and themselves. And you have the message of peace, the message that could bridge that gap, that could bring peace between the father and your mom, the father and your dad, the father and your brother, the father and your neighbor, the father and your son, your daughter. And if you don't do anything about that. If you don't tell them, look, you're at odds. There's a gap here. You are an enemy of God and you are not in peace with the most important person for you to be in peace with. If you don't share with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that gap has been reconciled, that that gap has been closed between the father and the son, between the father and, and us, if you don't share that with them, then Gillette's right. How much do you have to hate that person not to tell them about this? See, man, unless we are peacemakers in the sense that we are the ambassadors of the message of reconciliation that you and I have been entrusted with, that God has entrusted to us, unless we are going with that message of peace, we are not pursuing peace with others that honors the Lord at all. Because we're not pursuing peace with others in the first place. We're pursuing comfort. We we would rather have the calm waters here on earth rather than, than risk some choppy waves at what they might say because we don't want that level of discomfort. But in the back of our mind, are we asking ourselves, yeah, but they're looking at an eternity of discomfort. If I don't say something right now, see, we are just like first century Israel when they missed it with Jesus, they were looking for a different kind of peace. And you and I are settling for a, a, a peace that is so superficial. Because we don't want to have an awkward interchange with our neighbor. We don't want to have that next Thanksgiving be a a tense situation. And so we settle for this superficial tranquility, which is just a facade. When God has entrusted us with the message of peace that is far greater than that peace could ever hope to be. And God is big enough, right? He says, my arm is not too short that it, it, it can't save or my ear that it can't hear, right? There's nobody in your life beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nobody in your life so at odds with God that the peace that's been secured at the cross can't mend that that relationship between God and that person. Jesus is enough, man. The message of peace that we have in Christ is enough. And so we see that Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker in this beatitude, that he's walked in front of us, that he's gone before us, that he's blazed this trail and that he's provided us this peace that is so amazing. It should cause us to just want to do nothing but worship and praise Jesus. And that that peace now should overflow into our lives. As we have the spirit dwelling within us, the spirit is going to produce in our lives peace. We're going to be peacemakers because we are part of God's family. And ultimately, the peace that you and I should be producing is this peace that leads with the gospel, with the message of not temporal peace, but eternal peace that's only found in Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If you are a son of God, then you and I need to be peacemakers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for this reality. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for the peace that we enjoy with you right now because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, your kindness to us, your grace to us in Jesus. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it, God. And so Father, I pray that you would bring that to mind, that you would cause us to think much about that and to worship you as a response of that. Father, we pray that this week you would bring us into situations where we could be your ambassadors with the message of peace, where we could share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with other people that they might repent from their sins and put their faith in Jesus as their ultimate peacemaker between them and God. Father, help us to be found faithful as we await the day when we will ultimately know in the fullness and the fullest sense peace with you because we will be with you and we will be like you for we shall see you, uh, Jesus, as you are. Lord, we long for that day. In the meantime, may we be faithful here as we await that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.